sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. The main issue before Congress, you're going to hear a lot out from us here on Freedom's Ring, has to do with efforts to expand LGBT rights, particularly known as the Equality Act, and its impact on religious freedom, generally religious institutions in particular. Our guest today, Stanley Carlson Thies, is Senior Director of the Institutional Religious Freedom Alliance on the web at irfalliance.org. Stanley, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Hey, it's glad to be back with you, Alan. And, you know, let's start, uh, just give our listeners a quick introduction to the Alliance and uh, what kinds of institutions uh, do you represent? You know, there's a wide range of religious organizations of different kinds. And the ones that we work with particularly are the uh, the non-church, kind of separate from church, faith-based organizations. So it's uh, K through 12 schools, daycare, overseas relief and development, uh, you know, drug treatment, adoption, and so on. Uh, they all have separate issues, of course, if they're higher education or daycare, but they all have a lot of common issues. And so we try to work on the things that are, you know, important to all of them. Religious hiring would be one of them, issues about accreditation, access to federal funding, uh, things like that. And I created IRFA because it seemed like some of those common things were not being um, taken up as well as they could be in representing to Congress and the administration. And while there were really excellent law firms, litigation, defense, uh, it's better to have good legislation and you know good regulations. So that, that's why I started IRFA. I was going to say, Alan, we're now a division of the Center for Public Justice. It's a Christian think and action tank in Washington, D.C., uh, nonpartisan. And I started working there back in the 90s on what became Charitable Choice and kind of the faith-based initiative. And to me, that was kind of like a, an instance of having the government really be neutral between different kinds of organizations, uh, not that a religious group should necessarily try to get federal funding, but if it does, it shouldn't be excluded just because it's religious. And now, kind of here at this later stage, 20, 25 years later, comes this issue of should a religious institution be excluded from funding or uh, hampered in its operations because it has conservative moral values. That's kind of the thing that comes up now with the Equality Act. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned charitable choice and, and all of that, Stanley, because, uh, of course, I have been very much a, uh, a critic, uh, a skeptic when it comes to public funding of religion, because, of course, even if the funds don't come with strings initially, eventually you always expect the strings will come and that they will be strangling strings. Yeah. And so now we're facing the prospects of those advocates for LGBT rights, you know, using that in a sense to strangle religious institutions, right? Yeah, you're right. And a friend of mine, uh, Charles Glenn, he wrote a book called The Ambiguous Embrace. You know, exactly your point. So maybe maybe the conditions are fine, but then they later get tightened. So that's a problem. So you, you have to be ever vigilant. But as you know, and I guess we'll talk about in the Equality Act, the problems come whether or not an organization uh, takes federal dollars. 
it's just because I hire somebody or they're perceived to be a public accommodation, um, then they may run into regulations that they consider to be hampering of their religious character. So, yeah, it can be a bigger problem if you take government money. Uh, it can be that you just have trouble because our society is changing. Well, you know, it strikes me. I mean, I want to drill down on where the problems really are. So, for example, I would think most of the organizations that um, that you serve don't discriminate when they provide services to the public. They don't say, oh, if you're gay, we're not going to serve you, or uh, if it's a college or a you know, some kind of academic program, they're not going to exclude people because they're gay. Because, I mean, that's certainly the Christian ethos is yeah. is an ethos of service, right? Yeah. So when it comes to public accommodations, where do you see uh, the challenges for religious institutions? Well, in the Equality Act, so there are a number of different ones. And so let me back up. Uh, you know, ser- serving everybody um, when you've decided to serve the public, and let's think just for a minute, because we started on this about federal funding. So an organization gets federal dollars to serve homeless and runaway youth. Well, of course, they ought to for their own reasons, but also for the government rules. They have to serve all the kids, whether they are you know, gay or, or not. But the way Title VI of the Civil Rights Act works, as you know, if an organization takes a dollar of the money, then these new rules apply throughout the organization. And so this Catholic organization, it wants to serve the public. It takes care of every young person who comes. But since it participates in that federal program, now in the other things it does, it's not allowed to say, uh, we are going to have certain standards in the overnight youth camping we do or something like that, right? The way the Equality Act is written, I think rightly says no discrimination against people just because they're uh, same-sex attracted or, you know, have a different gender identity. But there are a lot of consequences that go past that good intention because of the way it's written and the lack of care, I think I would say. Uh, Same thing with Title VII, which is about employment. Um, I don't see why Lockheed should would even want to say you're fired because you got married in a same-sex ceremony. But if it's a Protestant institution that has, uh, you know, traditional biblical standards about marriage, and it's allowed by the law, it's protected by the law that hires just Protestants, now to be told or it's implied that, sure, you could just select out Protestants of your denomination, but you can't ask whether or not they're following the rules of your denomination when it comes to marriage. That seems, you know, a, a big mistake. So there are problems in the Equality Act, even for people like myself who think the overall goal is right. The way it's written is, I think, really troublesome. Do you have any confidence that there will be some compromise and some efforts to protect religious freedom through this process? Yeah, is there room for compromise? I think there's going to have to be because parts of the Equality Act just so obviously, I think obviously, go beyond what would be allowed by the courts in not protecting religious freedom. A public accommodation, part of it is uh, would be an example. It's basically almost everything becomes a public accommodation. Some people would actually sweep in churches that are just doing their regular thing, which sometimes involves serving the public, right? Having voter education meetings or uh, food drives and letting community people come into your food pantry. Does that make you a public accommodation now? And you can't have your own standards inside the facility or 
for membership, something like that. So I think there will be accommodation. You know, Alan, besides that, um, the Senate is split 50-50. There's a filibuster. That means 10 more votes are needed. Um, The Equality Act, as it is, is certainly not going to pick up 10 more votes. So will a filibuster go and then it'll get passed anyway? But I think there'll be endless court challenges. Um, so I think it's more likely there'll be accommodations. There'll be some accommodations. The question is, do they go far enough for uh, many religious institutions, like religious hospitals, Seventh-day Adventist hospitals? Uh, whether or not they take money, they will be a public accommodation that'll have certain consequences. So let me ask you this question. I'm confident that a lot of our listeners are probably getting news and emails from advocacy organizations that are sounding the alarm about the Equality Act and no doubt encouraging, um, you know, grassroots opposition to call your senators and and all of that. Um, How much impact do you think that has? Uh, You know, do you think that that, I mean, some of that to me, frankly, looks like fundraising appeals, right? So the more that you can get people upset and scared and alarmed about the prospects of this thing, the more you know you can get them to support your organization's efforts to combat it, et cetera. And obviously, you know, many of these organizations are, are quite legitimate and they're, they're doing important work. But um, how significant is the grassroots opposition for a bill like the Equality Act? Well, my own thought is that, um, you know, the, the grass, that kind of opposition, you know, you kind of call up and say, hey, this is terrible, don't do it. I don't think that's going to move any of its current supporters. Um, the current supporters, some of them may be moved by realizing some of the consequences. I mean, think about this. The federal government has a program of security grants that in part are directed towards houses of worship. And what houses of worship are most at risk of terrorism, hate crime, you know, it's Orthodox Jewish, uh, other Jewish synagogues and uh, mosques. mosques. Yeah, right. But, you know, Orthodox Jewish synagogues and mosques uh, typically have a sex differentiated seating. But you could not get security grant if Equality Act passed as it's written, if you have sex segregated seating. So it's like uh, undermining the thing you're trying to do. So I think some well-crafted communications that point out some of these problems. But that means then looking at this as maybe not in the kind of the sky is falling, uh, we have to have all stops, you know, battle against it, but instead thinking about what's trying to be achieved here and is there a way to achieve it in a way that also protects other rights. That's the way we've approached it. Because there is certainly anti-gay discrimination that's not right. And so it's appropriate, I think, for federal law to address that but then it ought not to damage other rights or you know, entrench on other freedoms that are also legitimate. So I think it needs to be amended, it needs to be fixed, so it's not gonna end up in court, so it's not gonna do bad things along with the good things. And I personally think that a good guidance for doing this is the, the so-called Fairness for All Act, which comes out of dialogue between people who are trying to protect rights on all sides and then see how to fit them together. Well, you know, in closing, let me pose this question to you, because it certainly appears to me that advocates on both sides of the culture war divide here are taking kind of a my way or the highway approach that our laws should reflect our morality, our values, whether it's secular, uh, pro 
gay rights values or, you know, kind of Christian nationalism, uh, where Christian nation and our values and our laws should reflect Christian morality. But I hear you saying that there is kind of a what I would call a live and let live middle ground. How do you see that as a Christian? Yeah, my analogy is with religious freedom, which is the same thing, right? And it's not that you or I think that all truth's the same, it's okay, whatever you believe, it makes no consequence. But so we think it makes a difference. That's why we bother, we feel called to to hold certain views. We think it's of eternal value and, and not just for us, but if these things are true, they're true for everybody. On the other hand, the government's not a truth machine, uh, nor can people be, you know, as it were, beaten into the kingdom. And so for reasons like that, we just say the government has to back off and not try to tell us what we have to believe and, and how we have to live. I think the same thing is true here. And I think there is a dilemma, though, just like with your faith, if you think it's true, you'd like other people to know the truth, it's good for them. And if you're sure that it makes no difference whether you have a same-sex marriage, opposite-sex marriage, you'd like everybody to be free and easy like that, just as you are. And so it bothers you that some people have this other view. I think for a lot of Christians, conservative Muslims, and so on, they think it's not just that I believe this way about sexuality, but I think it's good for everybody to, you know, have different patterns and so on. So that's fine. And so I can see the impulse to want to say, it's good for you, not just for me. I wish the law would keep it that way. But, you know, once we've gotten to a place of such deep disagreement, then the only way the law can be kept that way is by really oppressing some of our fellow believers, our fellow citizens, the ones who believe a different way. And so here we just ask the law to protect everybody the best it can and just step back and say, hey, you all disagree, but you can live together and here's the way you can do it. Well, that's a wonderful explanation. Our guest today, Stanley Carlson Thies, director of the Institutional Religious Freedom Alliance. We've been talking about the Equality Act, Fairness for All, and this conversation is going to continue as long as the legislative effort continues, because it's such an important issue. Thanks for being with us, Stanley, on Freedom's Ring. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>